You've found Rebirth, a podcast to inspire your emergence. I'm Kate Brennan, your guide here, as we listen to stories of intuitive courage and empowered living. Today's episode is with Marina Patrice Vare, an IAYT certified yoga therapist and trained daring to rest yoga nidra facilitator. Her pronouns are she, her, and MP. MP serves folks who are feeling disconnected, disengaged, or disembodied as they learn to re-inhabit their bodies and lives. Her private practice, Sweet Perfection Yoga Therapy, which is the same name as her website, SweetPerfectionYogaTherapy.com, specializes in in serving folks working through transitions and milestones, healing from interpersonal trauma, and during their fertility journeys from trying to conceive through postpartum. Stories remind us of the golden thread that connects all of us. Although we are unique, we are not alone. Thank you for tuning in to Rebirth. Enjoy this episode with MP and remember to like and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Good afternoon, MP. How are you doing today? Hey, Kate. I'm doing really well. Thank you. It's such a treat to be here with you. I'm very excited. I, I say that about every podcast episode, but I I actually mean it. And that's the joy of having really amazing people, right? <laughs> that you can yeah. be excited. Um, but I, I feel that you have such um such a gorgeous story and wisdom to share with us. And I really think that's the appropriate word for you because it's crafted and it's innate, meaning that balance of like having innate gifts, but then making the choice and to committing and growing them and, and honing them. So mm, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that is our, our journey today. And um, I would love for the listener, even though this is kind of like dropping in, in a, a, a practical way to hear a little bit about um, where you are now, like, you know, how, what you're doing with your, your offerings right now, but what's your reader's digest to date myself? Like we are, how did you arrive in the moment that you're here? What was the last couple of steps that you've taken on your professional journey to be where you are? Yeah. So um, in January of 2021, I retired from a 17 year career in higher education finance. Um, And I did that, you know, because I had my son and also I had my son because of a number of things that came before that. So um, I've been really committed to a yoga journey um, in terms of education since 2016. So to say like, oh, I left my job in higher ed. Well, yes, but it it took me years of building my education and connecting with folks and starting to feel like I had the right niche and the right um, client base that it seemed possible to leave my job. Yeah. And so I guess the, the last couple of steps there were like really gathering the courage to live the things that I knew were in my heart, which maybe sounds like a little trite, but like um, those courage muscles, like they take a long time to build. And it's not just like, oh, one day I left my career and hooray. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I committed to a partnership and because of our partnership, we have more flexibility than I had on my own. And you know, a number of things in my personal life had to come into alignment for it to be possible for me to live this dream of having um, a child. And then once that dream came to fruition, a number of things came up during my pregnancy that really made me realize how important it was to then give 
my family life the position of privilege that it, it deserved. Beautifully said. I, I don't, I find it fascinating that, I mean, this story would be as valid and tremendous if you said it was, two, you know, 2016, January of 2016. But I feel like you're the culmination, even though knowing you for a few years, I know the culmination of this step was, was years in the making, literally. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also feel when you just said the privilege of your family life, I find that that's something that people are waking up to, that it's, it's not just like a t-shirt anymore that mm-hmm. you, we need to be making valued choices. Yes. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about, the type of yoga that you do, because I also, I notice I have a, um, a lot of people on rebirth that are interested in yoga. Um, but I find, and you, tell me if you feel this yourself, a lot of people feel like yoga and then this pause where they have to introduce what real yoga might be or, or <laughs> you know, or the, the connection and knowing that um, a, a large part of your messaging is about rest. Mm-hmm. I think that that's an aspect of, of yoga that um, has been gr- in some corners has been greatly diminished and therefore in the polarity of things and other corners is becoming uh, fiercely protected. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that when we say yoga, there's still the image that pops into people's mind, right. Of mm-hmm. thin middle-class cisgender white women posing on Instagram right. <laughs> and um and that's a powerful image to, <clears throat> to counter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I, I came to my commitment to the practice of yoga primarily through restorative yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I moved into a vinyasa practice and I, I'm still not a vigorous vinyasa fan, right? I think that we find the path that is true to what we need and so in the course of practicing restorative yoga, I was introduced um, to yoga nidra. And so I had a fantastic teacher, <clears throat> excuse me, Molly Crowley, who, um, who did a restorative class that introduced yoga nidra at the end one day. And I was like, yes, that is my jam. Um, so yoga nidra is a sleep-based meditation um, where you're guided through um, various parts of the physical and energetic bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And you get to do it lying down if you want. So it's just like a big nap in a lot of ways, except that calling it just a nap really sort of doesn't get at the transformative power of it. So now I'm teaching yoga nidra. I do also see private clients for yoga therapy and do um, a lot of work around the philosophy of yoga and how we can incorporate yoga into our lives. And I do teach some asana as part of my yoga therapy, but I don't teach asana like in group classes. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I translate best in a small environment or one-on-one. I really like to be able to individualize what um, is being offered. I found, I mean, I think your yoga need, I mean, I guess this could be considered a plug, but I think it's just a true endorsement. I feel that we're going through or people are com- emerging in different phases of, um, healing like uh needing to address the trauma of the last 18 19 whatever how many months that is Mm -hmm. now and i am by no means talking to anyone's specific life because that would that's rude but the the global disruption has an effect on the nervous system no matter what your particular vertical was and experience Mm -hmm. and 
I feel like if that's a statement that is difficult to either access or know what to do with, I feel like the tool of one of your yoga nidras is like the lavender of the nervous system. Meaning if you don't have language for your subconscious and you're like, well, how could just laying down help me when you have a guided focused, non-harmful, because some people get a little nervous, right? Mm -hmm, When you have someone who is just like, I'm I'm just wanting to help restore harmony and you can sit for 20 minutes and then realize how willing the body is when it's accessed kindly to just let a little bit go. And I think that's a really powerful practice right now because depending on your personality, it's always speak to my own. I, I default to everything's fine. I can do, you know, we'll just keep going, you know, and I've definitely gotten better at that. But sometimes I don't know that I'm off. <laughs> and Ooh. so having those, t- an innocent, I, I like the term lavender because I'm like, you really can't overdo lavender. There's very few people who are offended by lavender. And lavender can then maybe open your world to her- herbal medicine, essential Ooh. oils, more Ooh. yoga, more medicine. It's just the thing that's like, I don't know why, you know, I have people say, I don't know why I feel better when I smell lavender. I just do. And it doesn't ask anything more of you. And I think having, I know there's a lot of depth to the tools that you offer. And I think it's also powerful to have something that is as, um, is similar to, to cup of tea with a friend. It's very accessible. It's very nourishing and you can stop there if you want to, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think when you have a lot going on, sometimes that's actually a really helpful thing, tool to have in your toolkit, you know? Yes. So toolkits. You and toolkits. Let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) So I um, would like to orient the reader or the reader. That's just my default. The listener to your um, journey with cultivating a very robust toolkit. Is that a fair way to make an invitation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think the place to start is probably with a, a critical illness. <laughs> so um, in the fall of 2016, uh, I became seriously ill. And um, it became apparent that I needed to take some time away from my job. And so I thought, yeah, I'll take medical leave for two weeks and, you know, I'll feel better. Uh, and I ended up being out of work for six months, mm-hmm. um, which was incredibly destabilizing, right? I'm, uh, I'm recovering from having been, you know, a pretty extreme perfectionist and being very driven. And, um, you know, at the time, my, my validation system was, was entirely externalized, right? So much of my validation had been coming from being productive. And um, I was completely derailed when I couldn't work. So much of my identity was tied up in my work. Um, And so, you know, over this six month period, just a lot of things had to be evaluated and reevaluated, you know, some basic things like treatment options, but, you know, big things like my relationship to work and huge things like why, you know, my beliefs about my worth and where it comes from and, you know, what appropriate boundaries would look like in my personal relationships, in my professional work, um, and really like what purpose our relationships serve. Um, a lot of things shifted in my relationship life at that time. 
Um, and I spent a lot of time really trying to figure out what my values were and then how I could reorient myself to be living them in, you know, uh, and then connecting to that inner wisdom, right? And that inherent worth and internal validation that comes from really living in alignment with your values. Um, so for the listeners yeah. listening, how can you leave work? Like, what was the inception of the, you called it a critical, is that right? The word used, a yeah. crit- critical mm-hmm. illness. So what was the inception of that? Your, your physically stopped being able to, can you ground us and yeah. Yeah, sure. So I was having um, an enormous, is the only way I know how to describe it, um, trauma response. So I had the experience of a long-term childhood trauma. I grew up in a household where that trauma was intergenerational. And, you know, healing from that is iterative. (laughs) So, you know, I thought I had been doing really well. I had been in long-term therapy, like in March of that year, my therapist and I celebrated as I graduated myself from long-term therapy, you know, and by fall of that year, I was very, very ill. And Mm -hmm. what happened sort of in between there was a number of really triggering experiences came up and they were coming faster than the trigger responses could be resolved. So if you imagine like an 18 car pileup on the highway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I went out of work, I had not really had a full night's sleep. And when I say full night's sleep, for me, that was only ever like five or six, six and a half hours in probably four months at that time. And mm-hmm. as a result, like my digestion was breaking down. And so um, I managed a team of people. I, like, I, I ran a department at the time and I would be under my desk at some points during my day, just like either in tears from not having slept or having not eaten and really trying to find a place to hide in my office where people couldn't see me if I closed the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I say like enormous, <laughs> like you know, mm-hmm. it really, it was incredibly destabilizing being someone who is really invested in, like you said, being fine, right? People <laughs> seeing the veneer of being very well polished and put together. Um, And really what happened is I just couldn't compartmentalize any longer, Mm -hmm. right? What was happening, this big internal storm, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to go into a workplace um, and appear and show up as the person I wanted to be. But like, it wasn't even, it was like, I literally couldn't be that person. (laughs) And so the person I wanted to be was, you know, lying under my desk, just like crying, (laughs) And finally, at one point, my, my boss had called me and he came to my office on like very short notice and I was trying to finish something for him. And he said to me, like, you don't really seem well, like you seem like you've been sick for a bit, like maybe you could take some time, <laughs> right? Which mm-hmm. is when I thought like, oh, I'll just take like a week or so. And then, you know, six months later. And I, I appreciate, you know, we talked before this, you know, it's not the details of intergenerational trauma, but I mm-hmm. feel that it is, um, someone might hear, oh, you were sick. And then in their mind, depending on their experience, might throw up three choices. You know what right. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, the, it, it was just this thing, you know, and I feel that your, this is my perspective and opinion from what I know of um, holistic healing work is that some people don't know um, what the body is willing to hold and then what can happen when actually you're doing so well that it can choose not to hold it anymore. 
Yeah, I really appreciate that insight, right? Like I'm saying, oh, in March, I graduated from therapy. Right? Like I really, a lot had healed, right? Yes. And, and a few months later, like now I'm in complete crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I, mean, I do like that healing process, right? It's iterative. Like it's, you know, something comes up, we think we've solved it. And then like actually more space is available to heal the next layer. And then more space is available to heal the next layer, right? And mm-hmm. you know, many of us have really deep wounds and they're not our fault, but like healing and how we heal really may be the work of a life. Yes. And depending on where you are on that path, whether the, he- no matter what size portion you have on your plate, sometimes I find that it can be very defeating when you're at that point of going, but I was doing, but I was working on it. Yeah. I was doing like, how did I get thrown backwards? And it's, you know, that's why I like the word spiral so much. And that's my language backwards, not yours. Right. That would be how yeah. I would feel, you know, I don't want to put that, like describe your experience, but it's like a spiral can feel backwards. You're advancing, but all of a sudden you're dropping down and in or, you know, sideways or, and I find that to have that voice, um, is a really valuable one because you even maybe deal. And then you might say, well, like, oh, well, it sounds like, you know, if someone's listening, might be like, oh, well, it sounds like MP had a really big problem. My problem's not that big. And it's like, well, don't do that to yourself either. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, the size of your problem is really about the impact it's having in your life, right? There <laughs> right? you go. Yeah. And, and in your journey, right? And so mm-hmm. it might not look like needing to leave your job, you know, for six months, but it, it really might look like needing to figure out where you can step back, right? right. And I would say, gosh, like if anyone's listening, I I really wish that I had paid closer attention to the cues before I was in a critical situation, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? That's not, um, because that's something we really, I actually really love to talk about on here is what is your personal cue, which doesn't mean it would be replicated, but I think it's helpful. So what do you think were some of the, now in retrospect, like you just said, what would be some of the cues you think that you needed to um, so like when I'm not sleeping enough very early on, when I notice I'm not sleeping enough, I get this like cinch in the pit of my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so it's a way that I know like I'm up too late or like, right. So those are really like small things, right. That this is not like by the time I'm at a critical state, but this is like, Oh, huh. I'm getting that in the pit of my stomach. I haven't slept enough. Like now that's a, Oh, I need to reevaluate what I'm going to do tomorrow. Right. And I have a much greater flexibility than I used to. And I, I recognize that as a privilege. But <clears throat> so for me, I, there are these little like things, right? Or it's like uh, I can, I realize that my jaw is locked, right? And I'm like, oh, I don't remember when the last time I took a, a big breath was, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are like bigger things, right? Like when I realized that I hadn't been sleeping for several nights, right? Probably would have been a time to try to get treatment as opposed to like letting it pile up for a really long time. Because I know that I have in my mental health condition, losing sleep is actually a critical um, problem. How do you know that? I know that as part of my diagnosis and as part of my long-term work for treatment. Thank you. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that it's a marker of the illness that I experience, right? And so, Mm -hmm. um, so I'll just, I'll be honest about that. So for people living with any form of bipolar disorder, loss of sleep is like a trigger can really kick you very far out of whack very quickly. Right. And so for me, I wish I had recognized when it was a few nights or even like a week and a half or two weeks right before it like really had stretched into such a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, at the time I was losing sleep, not because of my behavior and habits, but because I was having trauma triggers and nightmares and flashbacks and it was waking me up. And, and again, I thought like, well, I've been in treatment for so long. I know how to manage these things. And, um, I, I did, and they weren't working, right? And so Thank you. being really mm-hmm. resistant to asking for help, you know, I think like noticing, like, and it takes a lot of work, like knowing what triggers you. And I don't mean like the big things that trigger you that surprise you, but like mm-hmm. knowing like literally like small triggers, like not enough sleep can really spill pretty far out of whack, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, knowing if you, for me, like rest is a critical part of my my life. And so if I miss like a Nidra practice for more than two or three days, I know I'm not going to feel quite right. So for me, some of the other triggers are noticing that like my kids' voices are too loud when they're sort of talking at like a nor- where it's not disturbing anyone else, right? <laughs> it's disturbing me, right? <laughs> you know, but like for me and, and volume and sound is, is a personal sort of modulator for me where I know like, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit out of whack. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, that's a good one, right? Like where the other adults in my household are not noticing, <laughs> but to me, like, like my kids feel like they're on like 11, right? <laughs> and often like my kids are like running around and doing really active things. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's like knowing, discerning that difference, right? Yeah, it's actually a great, you know, when, when there's beings such as children are that are just existing and they don't even mm-hmm. have the consciousness, not the consciousness, but their their main goal is not to like, passively upset you they're just living and you're like that is I can say this for myself I'm like I'm irritated what's wrong with me that I am irritated with him just like it's not even directed at me it's just in my field that's a great that's a great um tool actually to articulate yeah so when you were making that decision and tell me if this feels right like you're making the decision to leave work but also your life was making the decision for you right yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My body was literally making the decision. Like, yeah. Like you're like, I'm just going to be gone for two weeks. And your life was like, sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure. It's going to be two weeks. No problem. And I laugh because of familiarity with you. Not because. Yes. Of- yeah. No, I, I know yeah. that it's not a, <laughs> yeah. it is a, a community laugh. Like it's like, yeah. oh, that's, yeah, that's an uncomfortable thing. I know. Yeah. <laughs> And you talk about the phrase that you used about when there's no clarity or in the absence of clarity. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how that became like maybe one of your own tools? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while I'm at home sick, not going to work every day, right, that actually leaves a lot of time to be with yourself. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was incredibly uncomfortable, right? It would have been much easier to be doing the drive, drive, drive grind, grind, grind thing that Mm -hmm. I knew well, right? Mm -hmm. And the absence of structure was really hard for me. And it left me, you know, with a lot of my own painful things to dig through, right? Mm -hmm. And in the course of that, I really, I had the opportunity to explore in depth (laughs) the process of discernment. Um, And in the course of that, I came up with the saying, in the absence of clarity, do nothing. Um, which sounds really simple, um, but it was a pretty radical act for me. Um, I really, um, I like to be on the go. I I liked, I'm going to pass tense that, but I liked to be on the go. I really, I liked to be um, busy, right? I, um, I identified a lot of my worth with like, you know, people liking me and the things I was doing and producing in the world, both socially and at work. Um, 
And what was happening is that I sort of didn't know what to do with all of this space in my life. So it sort of became like a mantra for me in the absence of clarity, do nothing. Um, and then later it became sort of once I had a sense of what to do, I added, you know, with clarity, with clarity, act with precision. Right. Um, and I think you've made um, lovely language at me <laughs> before about this sort of my discernment sort of being like a sword. And maybe you have a better way to say that now, but like or a better way that I'm saying it. <laughs> you've made lovely language. You do. <laughs> I'm going to take that. I make lovely language. I think that's what it should say on my LinkedIn now. I like that actually a lot. Um, well, I, I think, and this is becoming more and more obvious, I'm going to say it this way, post 2020, mm. that we've all been lulled into just do it and it'll fix itself. And that mm. might even just be in, um, let's take it out of a large personal issue and you might just be looking at something small and it's like, there's almost such a fear, you know, that we're going to miss out right, which is not the cause of yours, that it's just better to move, like just get get the next best thing. And, and there's actually a revolution of rebalancing our consciousness so that actually you're not missing out. And actually what you, we need you to do is sit still. Mm -hmm. And then depending on what situation you are in, like you were being asked to sit still and you also surrounded yourself in this period of six months with different modalities, different professionals. I mean, this was a well-versed excavation. Is that a fair yeah, way to say it, right? It is, yeah. So I think um, that, yeah. I just want to say like that think of uh, when there's no clarity, um, without with the absence of clarity, do nothing is actually, it's not this dichotomy of big or nothing. It's, it's a recentering of trust that you know another answer. And that can mm -hmm. be really scary when you're lost. Yeah, and I mean, I guess I should be, clear here that yoga nidra was that tool for me, right? It wasn't mm. like I just sat around and was like, oh, I'm going to get to clarity, right? My, my mental space was not such that I could have done that um, through journaling or talk therapy, even like it really, I needed an embodied tool. Mm. And um, so I knew uh, I was following the work of a woman named Melissa West, who is a yoga therapist in Canada. And she used to lead a twice weekly um, live meditation. And it was a, a variety of different kinds of meditation over a period of time. And I just happened upon um, a time where she was doing a large segment of somatic um, meditation. And so I practiced her recorded somatic meditation for more than a hundred days in a row. Like it was, it became my like, okay, this is the thing I'm going to do. And then as part of her um, yoga community, <clears throat> she offered a book study and the book study happened to be Karen Brody's book, Daring to Rest, which is a particular kind of yoga nidra. So I started with this somatic meditation that um, Melissa had been leading and then found this book and through the study of this book really discovered um, the depth of yoga nidra and like came to understand why it worked and you know what it was doing in my mental space but also in my body and my breath and through that process is when i um i decided that i really wanted to study yoga nidra right like i really mm -hmm. I, but i wasn't like quite ready to do that right i was like okay I just sure and so it was like another like hundred ish days that I practiced. Like for a while I ticked it off. It was sort of like, uh, well, so 
when I was very ill, I had like a list of things that like, if I got to these things today, brush my teeth once a day, right? And then bonus, if I could brush them twice a day, I had like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Nidra and, you know, like, it, it was a very like basic needs list. And Nidra became one of my basic needs. Um, so in that process, um, I was practicing yoga Nidra. I also, um, shout out to Teresa Conroy, who mm-hmm. is the most amazing <laughs> yoga therapist in person that um, has shaped my yoga journey, had been practicing in her space um, and doing yoga asana as well. And really seeing yoga asana in a way that was not what I was seeing on Instagram, but really had a therapeutic, um, th- like entirely was therapeutic. And I really um, appreciated her approach. And so much so that's what drive drove me to do my 200 hour teacher training. I went into that training knowing I wanted to become a yoga therapist and, you know, then went on to do my yoga therapy training all because like one person really showed me (laughs) the way the practice of yoga asana could, could be a treatment for a number of things happening in the body and mind. For Uh, for one example, one of the things that really I find remarkable about Teresa she has a really large um, population with um, isn't it Parkinson's yes yeah so she's really leveraging just for someone who might not research you know like she's really cross-pointing very physical western diagnostic with a with a holistic full-bodied approach so um, just so people can hear where you're going next so okay now you also let's talk about okay so what your life disintegrates i'm just gonna say it that way so if someone yeah i think that's a great way yeah Yeah. okay and you know i often joke about when people are like oh the butterfly the butterfly and it's like okay like let's not forget about the caterpillar who completely emulsifies okay the Mm -hmm. butterfly doesn't just show up right somebody has to agree to complete dissolution Mm -hmm. to rise right and so as you're in that process which is not easy We'll just say it that, that way. And mm-hmm. it's all the things that you're saying simultaneously, like both can be true. You're also yes. starting to practice the medicine that you'll emerge with to share with others. So yes. you're in a, because I also feel that in transformation stories, we were told this like uprising arc, and then it becomes very confusing when you're feeling that you're at a peak in one area of your life and a valley in another, and it's actually at the simultaneous moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how many months or years later did you sell your house? And we'll give the backstory of that, but just so that the re- listener can. So, yeah, this- so we, we sold mm-hmm. our house in, uh, we, so the offer came together in uh, September of 2021. 20, yeah, I was like, wait, what year is it? Right, September, yeah. September of 2021, yeah. No, September of 2020. Yes, I'm sorry. September of 2020. Yeah. 2020. And you left your job. I know, I get it. No one knows what year it is right now. And you left your job in 2021 and you went back to work. We'll say it that way. You went back to yeah. work in what? In March when? of 2017. And okay. just even going back to work, I want to like put a pin there for a second. Sure. Yeah. I did physically go back to work, but um, a number of things were still dissolving. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. my relationship shifted pretty significantly. Um, you know, my relationships, my familiar relationships, my romantic relationships, like a number of things were taking shape. And I think it's really important to highlight here that I did meet my partner um, like 
a few weeks into my medical leave, right? So I was at my sickest at the moment that I met my partner. <laughs> and, and so that also as things like, this is the peaks and valleys thing, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, as things are dissolving, things are also, seeds are being planted and things are growing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they both take time. They do both take time for sure. So the reason I'm asking about the juxtaposition of timing is you, so when you went back to work, yeah, were you the same person? No, not even close. Right. And it, my, my habits were really different and it was more jarring than ever, right. To try to navigate the two worlds. <laughs> um, I would, I had, I moved a yoga mat and several things into my office and I, I made yoga a part of my work day. Really? So Sometimes that meant that I like I went to work at 630 and practiced in my office for a half hour from 630 to seven so that I could beat traffic to work so that I could have space to practice (laughs) Um, because leaving my home a half hour later, right, really like through my commute back. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, So there were some things that were still sort of like very, uh, rigid in some ways, right? Like I was very committed to like, this is the thing I do, maybe disciplined. This is the thing I do um, to make sure I can do the other things. I think that's the difference about when you have something that you're recalibrating and your healing is actually a whole restructuring, Mm -hmm. then it's not like, oh, the restructuring happened. And then I went back to work. It's like, no, no. I was restructured and then I entered back into phases of my life, mm-hmm. but there's, there's no back really. There's just not a yes. better word in the English language. Like you went physically back to the location, but there was no back. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot like if we talk about, you know, what happened in 2020, right? There is right. no going back. <laughs> like right. it's Right. There's um, not. Yeah. So you're at work and then how long, are you there that you start realizing this is the, this is not going to stay? I'll use that. Yeah. Word. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that part's like, it, uh, it takes a very long time. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I go back to work and I, you know, I have ideas about what I need for my safety and my security. Like financially, I have a number of just sort of ideas that um, it's taken me, it takes me a long time to realize that I've outgrown but the mm-hmm. fear is real, right? Yep. Like mm-hmm. the, the fear of being financially unstable and insecure, you know, comes from way back <laughs> and has a lot of trauma tied to it. And so um, it's really February of 2020 before I start even like thinking about try to, trying to leave my job. <laughs> um, and it, it sort of is twofold. One is that, you know, at that point I'm doing, I was doing a 40 day um Yoga Nidra guided by my mentor, Karen Brody. She does it every January. And so it's, I was in the 40 day cycle. And part of that is this piece that she calls women dream. And so you're pulling out the dreams for this year and really like getting clear on what it is that you're, you're creating in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we'll go back. I'm going to put a pin there for just a second and go back to the house, selling the house and buying the house. That had been a seed that we had planted, that I had planted in my Nidra the year before. So in 2019, 
So back to this 2020 piece, I'm, I'm examining what I want to do. And I'm thinking about like, this really feels like the year to really expand my business. And I'm still thinking like, I'm going to figure out how to do that while I work full time. And OPS, oh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so let's also just say I'm, I'm 42 and pregnant at that time. Right. It's not like, oh, I'm just like, I'm going to reshape my life. Like, um, but in the course of that, it became very, um, very like minor ill. Like it was, you know, like by juxtaposition, like almost just like a hiccup. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, it was the last week of Jan, just last week of February in 2020. And I developed a respiratory infection and um, I had to go to my asthma and allergy doctor to get, you know, medication and treatment. And my PA says to me, well, you need to, um, you need to take some time off from work. And I'm like, well, yeah, next week is spring break. I have the whole week off. And she was like, no, <laughs> like, like this isn't a wait till next week to take a week off thing. Right. Like she was like, you know, you need to, you need to, t to not go to work right now. And then also not go to work when it's spring break <laughs> because you're pregnant. And I know you worked very hard to get pregnant. Like this is not a thing to mess around with. And so, you know, she wrote me a note out of work because I needed one if I was going to be out for more than three days. So she wrote me a note. I went home and I was like, okay. And she said to me, as I walked out the door, when I say you're not going to work, I mean, you're not going to email anyone. Like, I don't, mm. I mean, she's like, I don't mean go home and work remotely. She's mm -hmm. like, I mean, you're not going to go to work. <laughs> Done. <laughs> right. So I scanned this note. I forwarded it to my boss. I, I turn off my notifications on my phone. So I don't know my emails coming. And, you know, I wait um, several days to even check my personal email, <laughs> you know, and in the course of this, I, I'm practicing yoga nidra and it really arises that my job is harming me. And mm -hmm. I think like my partner and I have talked about this a little bit in advance, but like just sort of like, you know, and when I first mentioned it, he says to me like, yeah, I've just been waiting for you to catch up. Right. But so this time, like, you know, at the end of February, where I'm very sick, I, I say to him, like, I, I need to leave my job. And he was like, yes, <laughs> yes, you do, <laughs> you know. And so then we started talking about like, okay, well, a year from now, <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. by March of 2021, I want to have shifted enough things to make it possible to leave my job. Um, and make a go of my yoga therapy practice or figure out what else I need to do work-wise, right? But at that moment, it was just be done with that. Huge. Yeah. Tell us about how you sold your house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, because we're going from someone yeah. who had a list about brushing, like, Tying in, we're going from making sure we brush our teeth, right? Because our full yeah. focus and our full focus is, is healing. So when people say, I've already, because I find this, sometimes when you get on the precipice, if you, depending on what you have to uncover, it's like what I already did and I, I can't take anymore. I can't, meaning I can't take yeah. any time for myself anymore. I've already been given. So people have helped me so much. It's like, you might actually be on the precipice of something that really lets you catapult, whatever that might mean. And, and you have yeah. already educated us that it's a lifelong process, but you could be at a threshold moment. And so we have someone that's like, and I'm, that's, I'm not saying you, because we have a yeah. person, right. That is dealing with this storm. And then mm -hmm. two years later, most people can't, I would not say most people would have the fortitude to sell the house with the confidence that you did in the story that you're going to tell us regardless. Yeah. And so that's the power. That's the power of the medicine that you're sharing with us, which is your own medicine, but also an invitation that some of the things that you've done might be tools others can put in there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
So to tell you that story, I need to start a little bit back about buying our house. Yes, please. Right. So um, we knew when I got pregnant that we really wanted my partner, Cassidy, we wanted his mom to be a big part of our um, family life. And so we had asked Luce to, you know, relocate, sell her home. We would sell our home. We would buy a home together. And so, you know, she sold her home and moved to Philadelphia and arrived in July. Um, and uh, Harper, my son, was due at the end of August. And Cassidy and I had been looking for homes with our real estate agent, who was the same person through all this time, uh, for more than two years. Uh, bless her for her patience. And so um, we had been looking, you know, we knew very specifically what we were looking for. And it was pretty, like, um, the few and far between that they even came up for us to look at. And so we finally had just said like, Hey, we're going to give up looking for a house. We'll just wait until the baby is like a year and a half old and we'll look again. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, you know, upstairs at work virtually and Cassidy sends me a text and says, I found one last house. And it was outside of where we had been looking. We'd been really like, we had been focusing only on like two neighborhoods and this was a little bit further out. And, but I said, all right, let me look at it. And, and we were like, okay, we're going to see it. So that was on a Wednesday. We drove there that night, took a look at it, um, made an appointment to see it on Thursday. So um, saw it Wednesday, made the offer Thursday, closed on the home two weeks later, <laughs> uh, 10 days before my son's due date. <laughs> there we have it. <laughs> okay. So there's that piece, right? That's the, that's that seed of that how, home, right? That we were getting mm -hmm. clearer and clearer on. Um, and in the mix of that now, right? We're like, okay, I'm not ready to sell the house we're living in immediately, but also like now we have this other house. So like, you know, um, trying not to be in our previous house for a super long time. Um, but we also knew that like I had planned to give and I did give birth at home. And so I was planning to do that in the house that we lived in, right? Without having to move because timing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So the timing of selling our house um, really then mattered even more, right? Because we had a newborn. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, we were trying to figure out like when to do everything. And our realtor said, well, you really should have photographs taken of your home for the listing. And so I was like, okay, well, then we're going to wait till after Harper is born. And then, you know, he's born. <laughs> and, and I have absolutely no desire to have people coming in and out of my home. Right. right. <laughs> so, you know, we convinced our realtor to list the property as coming soon with just a photograph of the front of our house, like literally like the front door, this, you know, like front view of the house. Uh, and this gave us a really like sort of small window. There was some sort of regulation for like how long something could be listed as coming soon. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we were sort of still like waffling about when to make space to have the photographer come. Right. I'm, I'm in that absence of clarity place. <laughs> like, well, you know, uh, so Harper's maybe four or five days old. Um, I had, um, sustained a small injury during birth, which required me to stay confined to the upstairs of our home, which is where I had given birth. Um, so I needed to stay there for seven days uh, without going downstairs while I recovered from his birth. And so in this sort of time of being like stuck, for lack of a better word, <laughs> upstairs in my home and feeling really, you know, um, 
my partner and his mother are like bringing me all of the things I need to my bed. And I, I feel very, um, it takes me a long time to get even remotely comfortable with the idea, but I do eventually sort of sit with it. Um, so from this like sort of seat in my, my bed where I can only move very few places from, I say to Cassidy, you know what, let's not do photos. Like we need to move the house, like clean up the house way too much, move too many things around to stage good photos. Let's just leave the house for the weekend. And we'll tell our realtor she has the weekend to sell the house. And <laughs> Cassidy's like, this might just be crazy enough to work, right? And our realtor is like, what? You can't do that. <laughs> and, but I became like, but, but we're at the point where, you, where you're acting with precision. Yes, Clarity exactly. has arrived. And yes. you, and you know what? What I'm hearing is there's the confidence. You trust yes. it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like for me, clarity really gives me that. Like, I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. I know I have discerned what to do. I'm clear mm -hmm. on what to do. And now mm -hmm. I have the confidence to act with precision. So I'm certain that this is our best plan. So we cleaned up our house enough to make it presentable, but not exactly photo worthy, right? Like, <laughs> there's a difference. Uh, and, you know, uh, I get my partner to book us, like, you know, a, a home to go to for the long weekends. And, um, we tell our real estate agent, okay, you can show the house from four o'clock on Friday through three o'clock on Sunday. And we would like to make a decision about the offers on Sunday night. <laughs> I mean, like, it's so ludicrous. It's fantastic. It's like, what, what offers? What? <laughs> okay, sure. We'll try it. So uh, Harper is eight days old. And the six of us, me, uh, Cassidy, his mother, Luce, uh, you know, our itty bitty baby and our, at the time, twin eight-year-olds, uh, you know, drive off to Maryland for the weekend. Um, and we come home to two offers. So by mm -hmm. nine o'clock on Sunday evening, we've approved an offer for our home that was for $10,000 over our asking place and included a closing date 60 days out to allow us time to be newborn parents for a little bit before we moved. And I just want to take a breath there and say like, oh yeah, that sounds really easy, but I'm also going to give you a juxtaposition, right? Which is me in tears at 3.58 on Friday after having been upstairs in bed for seven days, now like being downstairs for a day, running around trying to help like finish up the, the cleaning of our home, right? Now I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 3.56, we have to get out of this house. Like we said, we, they could show it at four. And you know, Harper's crying, we're trying to gather enough stuff to get out of the house to take care of, like have things for everyone to do all weekend, right? I'm standing below the front steps on the sidewalk. Harper is wailing. I see the real estate agent and the folks that are going to look at our house pull up. And I'm mm. like, well, I can't be standing in front of my house with this screaming baby. So I just start walking down the street, like down, like down to the end of the block, right? <laughs> Cassie and the kids are <laughs> like loading things into the car. And I'm walking down the street, like I'm just walking away. And Harper is yelling so loudly that now I'm crying. Right. So by the time Cassidy gets to the bottom of the street for me and Harper to get in the car, we're both like wailing. <laughs> I just want to like, yes, the clarity was there. I acted with precision, but like, I also don't want to like put a bow on it and be like, oh, it's so easy. No, some of it looked like a hot mess, but like it was under control. Thank you. Uh, you know, all it's funny when you say let's go to three you know, 56 or 354 and my mind, which is perfect. And my mind also goes to let's go back three years, you know, mm -hmm. like let's go back three years. Let's go back 17 minutes and let's use this as a moment to say, is that why your yoga therapy is called sweet perfection? 
In many ways, yeah. Um, so it's called sweet perfection because I'm spending my adult life trying to become a type A minus, right? And <laughs> for me, a huge part of that is um, recognizing there is a part of me that that is always there that can't disintegrate in any of these reinvention processes, right? That mm -hmm. is already worthy and whole and, um, and divinely perfect, right? And that when I can tap into and remember that part of me, right, I can move with clarity and, and trust my instincts and my wisdom. And I don't have to seek that validation in the outside world, right? I didn't have to wait for my real estate agent to say, that's a great idea. Let's go, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I had to convince my partner slightly who, you know, I have a long history of trust worth. So, you know, he's like, okay, sure, let's try it. Um, but this idea for me, so many of the people I know and love are striving really hard, right? And they're mm -hmm. continuing to try to perfect. And the invitation with Sweet Perfection is to really tap into that divinity and perfection that is already within you. And that takes literal practice, but it also takes practices, right? Like you need a mm -hmm. toolkit and then you take the, the tools out and you use them for a regular practice. Beautifully said. If you're listening and you're curious, in the show notes, you'll see that that's her yoga, that's her um, website, sweetperfectionyogatherapy.com. And I appreciate being with you can you talk to us just a little bit about I just want to talk here out of your mouth a little bit about empowered and embodied before we end today yeah thanks so much for that invitation so empowered embodied is a yoga for fertility program and it is designed specifically for people who are using assisted reproductive technology while they're trying to conceive so um, the program is trauma-informed it's lgbtqia affirming and it's inclusive of queer, trans, and non-binary folks. So mm -hmm. I really wanted to spend time in my heart space, right, as I was designing this, thinking about, like, well, who's using assisted reproductive technology, right? Mm -hmm. And how, how can I be of service to them? And how can I use my experience, you know, in service? But also, how can I just make space, right, for these tools to be of service? And really, what I started thinking about was just how many reasons and ways, right, that people who are um, using assisted reproductive technology specifically have unique needs and how, um, how important it is to me that they get trauma-informed and identity-affirming experiences um, that they deserve as part of that process. Um, and I feel like I could say a lot more about why they deserve those experiences, but I know we're getting close to time. So mm -hmm. I guess I just want to offer that there are a lot of folks for a variety of reasons whose um, identities get erased, right? Like particularly fertility and also yoga, both of those spaces skis, uh, skew very um, cis and heteronormative. Mm -hmm. And so making space um, for yoga for fertility to really... Um, be a practice that can support anyone sort of on that spectrum of the assisted reproductive technology journey. Um, and it's taken me um, some time to really like excavate, like where are my blind spots, right? And what do I need to know 
um, to get up to speed in order to be of service across the spectrum to folks that are having different fertility challenges than the ones I was having, to folks that are having different gender expression and identity experiences that I was having, and also to really um, also serve my community, right? Like the queer community is really important to me. Um, finding a, um, a queer and polyamory friendly midwife was like, so core <laughs> mm-hmm. to us having the experience that we did have. And, and for me, having a home birth with that uh, midwifery practice was also just tremendously healing of a lot of the trauma stuff that I was carrying, right? And so really knowing that the people that served me and my doula was amazing, like really just my whole team was so important and impactful for me. And I thought like, how can I take the tools that I have and put that back out in the world and be of service. Um, So the program combines both some yoga movements, some yoga asana, a lot of daring to rest yoga nidra. um, And I'm super excited about it. I feel like I could tell you about it all day, but your invitation was to give a brief overview. I hope that I have have enticed folks to uh, check it out and learn some more. I think your invitation is a heartfelt, um, compassionate one. And if somebody wanted to hear more, because it's resonance, right? When you're, when you're working on that type of, that type of trust, there can be a lot heard and a voice that then they can go to your website and click on empowered and embodied. And the program begins in September. So they have time to, you know, go through this information on there, set up, you know, email you, they can even say they heard about this on the rebirth podcast so that we know that we're reaching out to communities and, and, and supporting each other. And I really appreciate you making the time to bring your, your brilliance to us today. I am so grateful to you, MP. Thank you so much. It really has been such a luxury and a gift, Kate, to have the time to just sit and chat. It's not a thing that we we get to do very often in this context. So I really appreciate the invitation and thank you very much. Thank you. And be sure to check out MP and all that she has to offer at sweetperfectionyogatherapy.com. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to Rebirth. Stay connected and learn more at katebratton.com and join the Golden Thread, a space to inspire the everyday creative. You found Rebirth, a podcast to inspire your emergence. I'm Kate Breton, your guide here, as we listen to stories of intuitive courage and empowered living. Today's episode is a bit different, not just my voice. Uh, We go behind the scenes on on the creative process of finishing and reflecting on writing a bit of a book. If you're a writer or a creative, I think this would be an episode you're interested in. It's a departure, like I said, it's a two-part series, and then we'll go back to our normal mini episodes. But it seems pertinent to rebirth, and it also seems pertinent to the idea that rebirth also stands behind in bringing conscious living aspects to the forefront. And in reflection on on this book writing process, I was able to witness a part of myself, a complete blind spot, like a technical, simple reminder that no matter how well 
well, I'll talk about it more, but just how, how well we think we know ourselves. We, we have these universes in us. And if we're cross-pointing a consciousness with an emotion, then, it, then a blind spot can occur. And like many of our episodes, it's the small things we talk about here so we can prepare for the big things. Thank you so much for being here and listening to Rebirth. Stay connected and learn more at capebreton.com and join the golden thread, a space to inspire the everyday creative. Thank you for tuning in and we'll be back next week with a new interview.